I even have a voice memo that, well, I, I'm going to keep forever from him recording the sounds of his environment, right? And saying, oh, fear, I'm, I'm trying to recover from bowel surgery. All I want to do is sleep and that's it. But I can't because every few minutes, something's blaring next to my ear. Hello and welcome to Hymns Cast. I'm Susan Morse, Executive Editor of Healthcare Finance News. We are speaking today with Ophir Ronen, who is CEO of Comwave, to discuss re- recent breakthroughs against ICU dementia. Welcome, Ophir. Susan, thanks so much. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm the CEO of Comwave. Comwave is focusing on remediating alarm fatigue in ICUs as the first step to building a hospital operations orchestration platform based on concepts learned in the crucible of enterprise IT. Well, we'll go delve uh, more deeply into that. Um, I wanted to start by asking you if you can tell me about yourself and what you do and Comwave, and you've already discussed a bit of that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, Comwave comes out of work that we as a team, because uh, actually all the key members of my previous team from the enterprise space have come into Comwave in order to solve this problem. We've solved the problem of alarm fatigue at scale for enterprise IT because the problem of alarm fatigue spans domains. It's not just healthcare. It's not just hospitals. It's in essence, any domain that has alarms and people needing to deal with those alarms, right? So enterprise IT, we were able to handle hundreds of alarms per second at times. Um, And so we're taking what we learned there, bringing it into the hospital space because we believe that there needs to be something done. The status quo in ICUs is untenable. And the fact of the matter is that alarms and alarm fatigues impact anyone who enters the ICU, whether it's a clinician, a patient, or a caregiver. And it's time for it to stop. And for us, that's a wedge into the data so that we can build value on top of that. Well, first, um, for those who don't know, and I'm one of them, I mean, I know what alarms are, but how many alarms are we talking about in the ICU that go off yeah, in so, an hour or so? Yeah, so there have been uh, alarms measured at peak at Johns Hopkins and other locations of 771 alarms per bed per day. So if you imagine you as a human trying to understand what's going on there, it, it's impossible, right? Like computers are good at processing lots of signals. People are really good at patterns. When you're overwhelmed by that much noise, you can't make sense of it. I imagine, do they go ignored after a while? Yeah, so they- and, and sadly, it, it's, even, it's even worse than that, right? Because the, the fact that people get to the point where, you know, they're trying to help out a caregiver who's trying to be next to the bedside of a patient and is literally going crazy because of all these like false positive beeps. You know, people have died as a result of that because the nurses in trying to care for their patients and their caregivers, they muted the alarm because it was just oh. beeping and beeping and beeping. And then it turns out there was a false negative because of that. And there are in healthcare what are called sentinel events, which are really unfortunate events like a muting of a physiological alarm caused the patient to die because of respiratory failure or otherwise. So it's a really nasty problem. And the status quo, again, is it's untenable. It's, it's not a situation that any other industry would be willing to put up with. Um, and we're going to talk more about that and what can be done to help Absolutely. with that. Um, do you work with Johns Hopkins? Uh, we're getting there. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, you know, 
if we look at sort of the the quick genesis story of Calmwave, right? So enterprise IT to healthcare seems like a big leap, but in fact, because of the this pattern of you know working through alarm fatigue, when I was looking at you know starting Calmwave as the way of getting into healthcare, you know the first thing that I do when I hear about a problem, and I heard about the problem actually through my volunteering in search and rescue. There's lots of wonderful people in search and rescue, including clinicians. And when you're walking down the trail towards a rescue, you have time to talk, right? Just like when you go on a hike. And that's when I first started hearing about clinical alarm fatigue. So I was really intrigued. And doing a literature search and starting to dig in, I saw that there were, you know, over 450 papers written about the impact of alarm fatigue in the last, you know, three decades. And what was most compelling is in the last five years, you saw hockey stick motion of papers being written, including papers written by luminaries such as you know, Maria Quach at Johns Hopkins, senior nurse, and Barbara Drew at UCSF. And they had actually done the hard work of pulling in the data and using, you know, like spreadsheets and other sort of manual means of figuring out best fit thresholds for their ICU populations and actually getting to quiet ICUs. The problem is without a platform that is constantly monitoring and adjusting as new patients are admitted and assuming they're diverging out of those high and low thresholds because of physiology or condition, you start bringing the entropy back in. So it always goes back to the status quo of just overwhelming noise. And so that was heartening for me to see that because then it was like, wow, this is actually an indication this can be solved with the appropriate technology. So that confirmed the course you were on. Absolutely, it did. Yeah. I mean, I, I feel like we're standing on the shoulders of giants, right? Like, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, well, Conway sent out a press release that scientists at John Hopkins recently developed technology to help staff detect early warning signs of delirium and dementia. Is that part of what you do? Uh, not in the first step, right? So the first okay. step that we're doing is we're going in and what we're doing is we're attaching to the vital signs device signals. We're attaching to the EMR. We're, we want all the lab notes, the interventions and everything associated with it so that we can start building those predictive models. If you look at just, just one aspect, right, which is ICU delirium, I mean, one third of patients admitted to the hospital and 80% of the patients admitted to ICUs develop delirium at some point, which can certainly worsen patient outcomes. I mean, my, my personal story about that is uh, my father-in-law, his, his memory be blessed, uh, passed away last year. He was diagnosed with uh, stage four lung cancer after being like amazingly helpful or, or healthy throughout his life. And it deteriorated really quickly from like May to October is all he had. And he was in the ICUs multiple times. And I, we actually experienced ICU dementia in person where, you know, he was constantly hearing these beeps. He was in this kind of state and, you know, waking up from surgery, he didn't make any sense. He was not coherent for a while. And I even have a voice memo that, well, I, I'm going to keep forever from him recording the sounds of his environment right? And saying, oh, fear, I'm, I'm trying to recover from bowel surgery. All I want to do is sleep and that's it. But I can't because every few minutes, something's blaring next to my ear and nobody's doing anything about it. So that was like really poignant in terms of like this experience. Well, you always hear if you want to recover, being in a hospital may not be the uh, best place right. to get sleep. Um, right. uh, I'm, I'm sorry to hear about his passing. Um, how are the two related? The delirium and yeah. alarms, and I don't know why patients de develop the delirium. 
Yeah, part of it is I think that you're in sort of uh, you know a twilight world, right? Where you're recovering from surgery. Hopefully, you've never had this experience, right? But like the first few days, right, when you're coming back out, you've just been you know anesthetized. Sorry. And you're coming out of it, you're already sort of in a gray state. And then you're hearing all these beeps and noises. And I mean, it all the way to like Florence Nightingale, right? She had a quote about the impact of noise and people trying to heal, right? So it's like, this is known. And so as you get more and more data, because, you know, the amount of beeps that they had 30 years ago from vital signs devices and the amount that they have now, it's like a continuous hockey stick. And the problem is because as you're monitoring more and more and you're interested in more and more, that's generating more and more alarms. So again, going back to that notion of rest and like trying to recover and then constantly being woken up. I mean, even a healthy person, if they're woken up all the time while they're trying to rest, after a few days, you'll experience all sorts of you know poor effects and outcomes. So if you're also like in sort of the worst position that you have been in your life in terms of health and you're in that environment, then I think it makes sense. It does make a lot of sense. Uh, can you talk about what ComWave is doing about this and what Johns Hopkins is doing about this? And yeah, absolutely. Both of you are working together. Yeah. I'm, I mean, again, like I, I, I love the, the concept of standing on the shoulders of giants, right? Like one of the things that Johns Hopkins did, which was so, again, like wonderful in terms of kind of seeing the way forward, they developed two ML models to predict delirium risk, right? So they used the data set from 200 ICU states across 208 hospitals across the U.S. And then they tested it on two additional data sets with 100,000 ICU states. And they're seeing high performance scores of up to 99% accuracy. This is really awesome. And so the exciting thing about that is that, again, it's proving the pathway. And what's really needed is sort of a platform that ties it all together. So what we're doing at CalmWave is we're going in and we're solving that problem of alarm fatigue so that we can build the first, you know, objective measure of clinical workload based on, you know, positive alarms from, you know, actionable alarms from patients, looking at the interventions and complexity of interventions, patient ratios to create a measure of clinical workload across every nurse, every unit and every hospital to give hospitals an understanding of where are the hot spots, right? Like where do we need to devote our limited resources to keep our talent, right? Because the last thing you want is to lose an FTE nurse and then have to pull in a traveling contractor nurse at three to five X the cost to the hospital. So we're using that initial data set just to get into the data to build operations health scores, but then also patient acuity scores and all sorts of predictions, including ICU dementia. That was going to be my next question of how this is working, but I, uh, you just said you don't have that data as yet, but we look forward to getting that. Absolutely. Can you give any sort of estimate of the reduction in alarm noise, maybe per hour. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that for us has been really intriguing is in our, you know, the initial data set that we're working on is 46,000 patients spanning 11 years from Beth Deaconess Israel Hospital. And one of the things that we're seeing there in analyzing kind of the sickest patients and their vital signs and interventions and all that is that we see very easily, you know, there's different patterns in the data. So you can have like chaotic alarms. You can have like what we call skimmers with the, they're basically like sitting on the threshold above, below, above, below. And even if you add, you know, five points to a heart rate for a specific patient that was at 120 beats per minute as the high alarm 
but because you're seeing it skimming and you're looking back over time and you're seeing that it's a stable, you know, increase and low slope, then you can say, you know what, adjust it by five. And so what we found is just by doing that, based on the data we're seeing, you'll see a 60 to 7% reduction in false positives. So there's a lot of low hanging fruit once you have a platform. Have you heard from clinicians and how they like this? Yeah. So uh, we're still in early stages, right? So now we're in, we're in the process of implementing uh, pilots across four hospitals, both in the U.S. and in Israel. And, you know, we've had clinicians say, get this up and running today, <laughs> right now. And we're like, okay, we're working on it. So it's very heartening to see that. Well, this is fascinating. Thank you so much. I look forward to hearing more about this as you get more data um, and uh, to hear any updates. Ophir, thank you for joining HIMSCast. Likewise. Thanks so much, Susan. Have a wonderful day. Thank you.